as we're worshiping the Lord today, I thought about our uh, college students. Many of our uh, college students are with our student pastor and his wife in Houston attending the uh, Passion Conference, and some of you guys have, have tuned in with them through the live feed and so forth. And the messages we are getting is they're having a phenomenal time. And so I'm just grateful to God uh, that our college ministry is really a cool thing. God is blessing that ministry. It's growing. They meet every Monday night, uh, room 228, and they have a great time of Bible study and fellowship. It's so cool to see that ministry burgeoning out and growing and how God uh, is blessing that. And uh, joking with you a moment ago about the Super Bowl, tonight at 5 o'clock, if you're not doing anything and you're interested, we're going to have a big... Super Bowl party. This is for the students, but they said we could come if we're nice, okay? So if we're nice, us older folk, we can come, just bring a two-liter um, soft drink and a big snack. That's what Daniel said, a big snack, whatever that is. They'll have chili at a 250-inch screen uh, to watch the game on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Just so cool, some of the neat things God is doing in our church. You know, this, this weekend we had a great time with the men. Uh, yesterday morning at 8 o'clock, heard some phenomenal Oh, amazing testimonies of the grace of God in some men's lives yesterday morning. Had some Rudy's uh, breakfast, tacos, had a great time. I understand half the church showed up at the Hartsfields for Bethany's uh, shower. And so, ladies, I hear y'all had a great time, a blessed time. And then again, this Passion Conference. Many of our ladies went out to the Beth Moore Conference uh, over at Shoreline Church and had a great time as well. So today... Have you ever uh, had a message you just couldn't wait to, to preach, and uh, boy, you just couldn't wait to share it? And, and some of you, not publicly maybe as a, as a preacher of the gospel, but maybe individually, you, you know, the Lord has spoken to your heart, and, and you really had a message to share, and you wanted to make sure that, that message is communicated in the very way that God would want it to be communicated. So that's the way I feel this morning. This is the message out of the book of Revelation. I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 11. There are only 22 chapters uh, in the entire book of the apocalypse, and we're about halfway through. And uh, so we've been doing this now for a few weeks, anyhow, haven't we? And uh, so we got a few more weeks to go, but I am thoroughly enjoying the study and um, learning a lot with you. I have to be honest. Uh, you know, the teacher, the interpreter always learns more because the onus is on him to study. And if there is a mist in the pulpit, there will be a fog in the pew. So I want to make sure that I, I, I communicate, communicate, some of y'all get that later on, okay? And so um, I want to make sure I communicate to you and share my heart with you and share my mind with you of the things that God has, has placed on my heart. Speaking of Revelation, I understand, and, and I really do, and I've read and I've studied, there are many theories about the end times. The, the study of the end times is a big 10-cent word they teach at seminary called eschatology. The word eschaton means last days, and whenever you put the ology on it, that always means study of. So the study of the last days is the book of Revelation. Some believe that Revelation is a book of the past. Some believe it is a book partially of the past, and some people believe it is a book of the future. Now chapter 1 obviously is a book of the present. Jesus Christ reveals Himself. He unveils His glorious nature to this hundred-year-old man named John, John the Beloved, John who laid his, his head on Jesus' chest. I mean, he was a wonderful man of God, a disciple of the Lord Jesus who wrote the book of John. He wrote the book of Revelation. He, he wrote the epistles of John. 
And John in chapter 1 of Revelation, he, he sees Christ in His glory and he writes what he sees. Now, chapters 2 and 3, Revelation is a book of the past. It tells the seven churches of Asia Minor, and those amazing churches were not only historical, literal churches then, but when you study them, you find that there are some salient characteristics, there are some attributes in those churches then that we've been able to follow all through Christendom all the way up until this very day. So I understand Revelation is partially a book of the present, partially a book of the past, but Revelation in its heart, I believe, is a book of the future. And chapter 11, if you don't believe it's a book about the future, you're going to have a really hard time understanding this chapter. For example, there's coming a day, has this happened yet? There will be two guys preaching in Jerusalem for three and a half years. They're going to be performing miracles. A man who is a man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is going to come up and kill those men. And then after three days, God is going to rise, raise those men from the dead, and they are going to ascend back into heaven. Now, if you interpret Revelation 11 literally like I do, that has not happened yet. And yet that will happen. God has given this unveiling. He's given this book of Revelation so that we can know that God is a God of His Word, and listen to this, He's a God of grace. God is a God of grace. It would be ungracious if all of these things were going to happen and God kept, kept them mysterion is the Greek word. It's where we get the English word mystery. If God kept all of this under hat, if God kept all of this in His sovereign mind but would not share any of it with us, we would think, oh Lord, I wish you would have told us. And so God does in His grace. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of revelation. And He says, here it is. And He gives John this apocalypsis is the Greek word. It means to take away the veil. It means to have an unveiling. And we get to see this unveiling of Jesus, and we get to see the unveiling of the future of the world that is yet to happen. Now, again, I understand the theories. I have read them. I have studied them. And I understand, but I'm sharing with you what, what I believe is going to happen. Uh, I am a, um, a, a Bible teacher. I am a Bible student, and so what I'm sharing with you, it's not that I don't understand other views, it's just that I do understand them, but I'm choosing not to uh, share them, but I'm sharing with what I really believe to be the case. Let me give you a little bit more summary as we kind of ramp up into chapter 11. Chapter 11 has been called the most difficult text in all the book of Revelation. It says, if you can understand this, and, and that's why people tell me, that's why I don't read that book, it's so hard to understand, and it's true, it is hard to understand. In Revelation chapter 11, some believe that it's the most difficult to understand, but if you understand it, then it's kind of like a key that unlocks this beautiful vista, this beautiful picturesque mountainous view uh, of the future. It is fascinating passage of Scripture. It talks about a temple that John sees a vision of a literal, viable, physical temple, and then you have these two of witnesses. And if you're taking notes, those are points one and two. Number one point is a temple. We're going to study what this temple is. And then number two is the two witnesses. And there are some characteristics of the two witnesses under points A, B, and C. I highly doubt we'll ever get to A, B, and C. This is one of those six pagers. And so if I get through about three pages, that's usually about 30 minutes or so. And so, Corey, I think there will be enough 
time to edit, the, you know, put it all together. Speaking of editing and putting together, there, there are many, if not hundreds of people watching us right now on the internet, and I think that's really cool. Um, and so if you're watching us on the internet, wherever you may be, and you tell me that you're from all over the place, just know we, we're glad that you're with us. We're glad that you're studying the apocalypse. We're glad that you are with us. If you live in the Austin area, why don't you come and worship with us here? Personally, that would be, that would be incredible. Okay, so Revelation chapter 11. Let, let me just, um, just kind of ramp up as to how we got to uh, chapter 11. I believe there is coming a day known as the Great Tribulation. And the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's sorrow, the time of Jacob's woe. There's coming a time of seven years of unprecedented, catastrophic, calamitous events that will transpire on planet Earth. Now, many people believe, myself included, that we will not be here during that time, that we will be raptured. There will be a time where God takes His children away, and that is known as the rapture, the premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture. Again, it's not that I don't understand the other views I do, but this is the one that I really believe is accurate and will happen, that God will come in a rapture, Jesus will whisk us away for seven years in the heavenlies, and then what happens is known as Daniel's 70th week. When you study the prophet Daniel, we don't talk a lot about Daniel, and you really need to understand Daniel, Ezekiel, and a lot of the Old Testament prophets before you understand Revelation. And so Daniel talks about the 70th week, and that 70th week is literally a seven-year period of time which is known as the Great Tribulation. During this time, by the way, is when the Antichrist comes. He rises up, and he is a man of great charisma. He is a man of great intelligence, and you know he's going to be absolutely knock-em-dead gorgeous guy. He will be. I have no doubt because that's part of his seductive nature is he is going to be a very seductive individual, he's going to be incredibly charismatic, and he's going to be incredibly deceitful. He will be the very embodiment of Satan, and he's coming. Some believe he's alive. No, I don't believe he's Barack Obama, okay? I just, I just don't. I mean, I know some people do, but I, I don't. N nobody knows. I think Satan has people prepared all through time. He's ready. I think he has many volunteers, by the way, but he doesn't know. He's not omniscient. Only God knows when these events will happen, when the rapture comes, and then this person manifests himself. For the first three and a half years, you, you think it's turmoil and chaos in Israel, in Iran, in the Middle East, and Iraq, and so forth. Now, just wait till these events, and they continue to crescendo. And by the way, they're not going to change. They will never change. There will never be peace in the Middle East. It's going to be a time of war and turmoil. Listen, you've got a nation, an entire nation bordering up next to Israel that says, we think you, Israel, are Satan, and if we can get the nuclear arsenals, we are going to obliterate you from planet Earth. Now, that's Iran, and Bibi Netanyahu, he believes it with all of his heart, and so he's coming to Congress to make a plea with Congress, please step up and help us disarm this nation because they've got one agenda. And that is to punish Israel because they've already called us the great Satan. By the way, it's not going to change. It, it, it's not. It's just going to get worse and worse until we leave. And then the Antichrist is going to step up and say, whoa, 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 chill, chill now. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at me, look at me. I got this. And he's going to do some amazing things. 
He's going to make this softening. There's going to be a peace treaty with Israel. And it looks like things are going to be, um, they, they're going to be improved, ameliorated. They're going to be improved. And this joker will turn on them three and a half years into it, and he will be a vicious beast. And he will persecute Israel and believers who come to faith in Christ during the Great Tribulation. If they don't take his mark and they don't take his insignia, then they will be martyred. It will be a vicious, vicious time. All of that's, by the way, that's all of that's yet to come. You say, well, I've never heard this in my life. What are you talking? What have you been drinking, brother? Have you been sipping something? This is the most bizarre stuff I've ever heard. The reason you don't hear it is because preachers don't preach the Bible anymore. We have by and large abdicated our divine right of God to study. We don't study anymore. We, we are cool. We're hip. We, cool, we share cool messages and many, many series. And, uh, and if you just look good and sound good, man, you can pack it out. And there are very few churches that are wanting to say, yeah, get all that. And, yeah, do your series every now and then. In Jesus' name, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible teach us anything? Praise God for a preacher for 34 years who preached the Word of God. Praise God for Bible teachers who preach the Scriptures. Now listen, when you preach the Scriptures, you are going to be very unpopular. And your church in America, barring a miracle of God, will not just explode and grow, barring a miracle of God when you preach the Bible, because people don't want to hear the Bible. I was in a pastor's conference last week. Son, whoo, a group of pastors from Austin, Texas. We got together for 24 hours. It was a week ago today. And it really, it really is one of those mountaintop experiences that I personally experienced, and I have not gotten over it, and I hope I never get over it. A bunch of pastors got together, hungry for God, hungry for His Word, and we worshiped Him, and we praised Him, and the Holy Spirit of God just came down. And it was one of those it was, as a Baptist, it was almost weird for me because the Holy Spirit would speak something to me and the worship pastor would say what the Lord just told me. Freaky! I mean, Baptists, we don't, we don't get into all that, but I was like, oh my word, what is, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit of God spoke to my heart. And all of us, all of us deal with stuff, don't we? Don't we all deal with things and past and hurts and issues and some have a propensity to be depressed and discouraged, and we bring all of that stuff to the Lord. He's not surprised by it. He knows us. He loves us. And I was bringing my stuff last week. Some of y'all were here last week. You heard my heart. You heard me preach my heart out. You did the math, and every 10 years, there's lots of discouragement. I think about quitting the ministry, and that was it. That, that was this week, last week. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Listen, does this sound like God? Does this not sound like God? You know, I can help you with that. <laughs> and then basically the worship pastor would say something like that. I was like, oh, my word. He says, yeah, I said, but Lord, it's, it's deep. It goes back to my childhood. And it's hard. He said, you know, I can help you with that. Can I just tell y'all something? Our God is an awesome God. He loves you. He knows you. He, listen, listen carefully. He knows your past. He knows your hurt. 
And the God that's telling us the future and the God who has led us in the past is the God of the moment, the God of present time, and He loves you, and He tells you, can I just say this? I could not wait to tell you all this. Somehow I had to tell you, and I believe this is of the Spirit of God. When I want to say this, don't you know I can help you with that? Whatever that is, I can help you with that. So here we are in this amazing study. And we've gone through 10 chapters, and now we come to chapter 11. Now, by the way, we are still in an interlude, a parenthetical pause, a brief moment. Let let me recapitulate just real quickly. Watch this. There are seven uh, sealed judgments of God as it begins this this, uh, great tribulation. Seven years begin. Seven trumpet judgments, excuse me, sealed judgments. Seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments. By the way, we are right in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet judgment. The fifth trumpet judgment is called the first woe. The sixth trumpet judgment is called the second woe. And the third trumpet judgment in Revelation 11, 15, shazam, kaboom, it's going to be on. And that is known as the third woe, and that's when the really hell on earth happens, when it just breaks loose, known as the latter part, the three and a half years of tribulation. So we're coming into the study. And all of a sudden, in this pause, in this divine moment, that same angel of Revelation chapter 10, this mighty, awesome angel, one foot in the sea, one foot on the earth, hands lifted, one hand lifted to Almighty God, making a pledge, an oath, another hand with a little book. And there we see that same angel in chapter 11 does this. And I was given a reed, John said, a calamos. A reed, a calamos, was a 15 to 20 foot hollow stick. It was used as a walking stick, if you will, but it was perfect for measuring. Okay, now, by the way, this is before tape measures and what do you call those things? You line them up, it's got the little bubble thing in the middle. A level. Before that stuff, tells you how much I know about that, don't it? Amen. Amen. I was given this, John says, I was given this reed, calamos, like a measuring rod. And the angel, remember him, big angel, chapter 10, stood and he said, John, rise up. Rise and measure the following. There are three things that John's got to measure. He's got to measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there, verse 2. But the angel said, leave the outside, or but leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure that. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. 42 months, 1,260 days, three and one-half years. By the way, that has not happened. These things are yet to come. So Jerusalem is in the center, it's in the very apex of of these unfolding events. And by the way, people used to laugh at this. They used to say, you, you bunch of theological hillbillies, you bunch of people who believe that Jerusalem, all the Jews are going to come back together and Israel is going to be a viable state. And remember, this is prior to the 1948 when they came back together. They said, in order for all these things to happen, Jerusalem has to exist again and Israel has to exist as a nation, and we all know that'll never happen. But it did happen. 1948, it happened. And it's still happening. And there are There are about 15 to 20 million Jews, if I'm getting my math right, 
Only about 15,000 Jews are converted Jews, Messianic Jews. Have you ever known a, a group of people hated more than them? You know you haven't. Come on. You know you haven't. You say, well, Brother Dan, you're talking about the Holocaust. Yes, I am, but that's not all. The Jews are still today the most hated people on the planet. I believe it's because of the special favor of God that God has given them. Now, it's just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're going to heaven. If you're a Jew or a Gentile, and you put your faith and trust in God's only remedy for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Him, then you go to heaven. If you Jew or Gentile, whoever you are, if you don't, then you do not go to heaven, okay? You have to believe, you have to know Christ because God's final redemptive answer to all of our sin and all of our nastiness and all the deeds that we have done, all the things that have offended holy God, God says, I forgive you with the blood of my son. And if you believe it, you receive it. But if you don't believe it, you're not going to be in heaven. Now, that's, that's the gospel. That's a dividing gospel. And that's why it's not preached very frequently in America today because, well, if I tell you that, you might get upset and you may not come to my church. Listen, you may not give me your money, and I may not be able to buy the things I want to buy. Glory to God, we get to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation and to everybody who believes, to the Jew and also, first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. What is this temple? What in the world is this temple? Are y'all with me? Did y'all ask that question? You should have. Listen, you, you, you got to be a good hermeneutics. You've got to read the text, and you've got to ask questions about the text and say, what does this mean? Who is that person? What is this event? And what is that temple? There are five temples in the Bible. You may want to jot these down. Five temples in the Bible. The first temple was the Solomonic Temple. David raised the money. Solomon built it around 900 B.C., and it was quite a temple, was it not? And then that temple was desecrated. It was destroyed. And 586 was really the closing chapter of that temple of Solomon by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. They come in and they destroy that temple, number one. Temple number two is the temple of Zerubbabel, the temple of Nehemiah, the temple of Ezra and Joshua. Remember that temple was, was rebuilt. The wall was built in 444 by none other than Nehemiah. 457, the temple area itself was rebuilt by Ezra and his gang. And it was destroyed and desecrated by a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 B.C. And so that temple, number two, has been ransacked and destroyed, and along comes Herod into the New Testament era, or prior to the New Testament. And by this way, this is, this is just history. This is not, there's nothing really spiritual about this. This is just history. This is, this is it. I mean, this is, these are those temples, all right? Temple number three was created by Herod, it's known as Herod's Temple, but it was destroyed in A.D. 70 by a Roman uh, emperor, a, 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 not a emperor, a Roman general. His name starts with a T, and if you're the first person to tell me who it is, I'll give you a prize. What was his name? Okay, hold on. Somebody over here said it. You said it. Will? Will Sneed? Cool. I got to give him something. You got some money on you, preacher. 
I mean, how much? Oh, really, do you have anything? Come here, Will. We're going to bless you right quick, all right? A preacher's going to bless you. I don't, I'm not going to do it. What you got? Let's give him a 20, and then I'll, I'll reimburse you. All right? There. It's a Bible scholar. All right, good. Good job. Good job. Amen. Thank you, preacher. I appreciate that. That's not in the manuscript, by the way. I, this, everything's in the manuscript except that. Uh, but anyhow. Yeah, right. Preacher, I'll get that back to you. Will, that's pretty cool. Will's going to be a preacher one day. Did y'all know that? I'm not getting Holy Spirit spooky on you. I just, I just know he is. His family, I think he even believes he is. I hope he does, but he'll be a, he'll be a good one. Titus comes in and destroys the temple in A.D. 70. Jesus said, listen, all these stones are going to be toppled, and uh, they're, they're, it's, it's going to be tough. And uh, he's referring to his body, but he's also, in three days I'll raise it up, but he's also saying this temple is going to be destroyed, and it was. So now you got temple number four. Now here's where it gets interesting. Here's where Bible interpreters and Bible scholars, they disagree vehemently. And again, it's not that I don't understand it, it's just I'm going to share with you the one that I believe. Temple number four is the temple in Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 47. It's known as the Millennial Temple. It's the temple that many, myself included, believe that's going to be constructed during the reign of Christ from Jerusalem for the thousand-year reign that is yet to come. It's known as the Millennial Temple. And as Dr. Patterson, one of my mentors, shared recently, if you don't believe that, you're going to have a hard time explaining that. You're going to have a very difficult time explaining Ezekiel chapter 40 through 47. By the way, some of you don't believe that, and that's okay. You don't have to write me. <laughs> TV, you don't have to write me. I, it's all cool. I understand it. I get it. I just don't believe it, okay? So, but you're probably not going to change my mind. So, amen. Thank you. Temple number five is this temple. This temple, I believe, is going to be a literal, physical temple rebuilt in Jerusalem, and it may even happen in our lifetime. But that temple is going to be rebuilt because it's in that temple that John is supposed to measure it, and it's in that temple that the Antichrist is all cool with it until he sets himself up as God and he desecrates it just like his prefigure Antiochus Epiphanes in, in 168 B.C. And so this is that temple there. And you say, well, Brother Danny, have you been to Jerusalem? I have. Did you have the eerie feeling that I had when I was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount? Do you know there are armed Muslims at the Dome of the Rock and there are Jews right beside them? Do you think the Jews are going to rebuild there? Yes, I do. I don't know how. They're going to do it. And there are many over there right now who are ready for it. Let me tell you, they have the money, they have the wherewithal, they have the passion, they have the desire, and I believe that temple is going to be rebuilt. And that's that temple that the angel says, measure it. So he measures the temple, he measures the altar. There will be a brazen altar where they will make sacrifices, animal sacrifices. And then it says, um, measure the temple, the, I know he said don't measure the outer court, measure the, uh, the altar. What's the other one? The worshipers. Yes, the worshipers. Measure the worshipers. Thank you. So why would he measure those things? Here's a good question. Does God lack knowledge? Does God need to find something out? Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I can't find you. No, no. God asks questions. 
God has other reasons. It's not for information. I believe it's measure it, John, and consecrate it. Do you notice he said measure the temple, measure the altar, measure the people? But don't measure that. Don't measure that outside court because it will be desecrated. So I believe he's setting it apart and he's setting it up for this end times, climactic, whoo, some kind of fierce battle that's going to break loose uh, in the future. So now let me check my notes because I haven't looked at them for a while and see where I am. The temple, the brazen altar, yeah, one writer puts it like this, and I like this. Who are these worshipers at the temple during the great tribulation that John is to measure. Dr. Robert Thomas says, he takes a more literal interpretation, he says, these worshipers represent a future godly remnant in Israel who will worship God in their rebuilt temple. Among them are probably those who will come to Christ through the ministry of the two witnesses. So you've got this resurgence of Judaism, but you've also got people who are being saved through, through Christ during this time. Gentiles or unbelievers will one day tread and destroy the holy city for 42 months. Listen to this, three and a half years, 1,260 days. I believe this is Daniel 9, the 70th week, one week, which is really actually a seven-year uh, period of time. But it should come as no surprise, should it? I mean, really, should it surprise any of us? that there's going to be such vitriol and hatred toward Jerusalem in the future. It should not surprise us because, again, now by the way, I don't agree with everything of Judaism. I don't agree with everything that the Jews make mistakes, okay? But I do know the Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I may not understand all that, but I pray for them. And I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And God goes so far to say, those that bless you, I'm going to bless them. And those that don't bless you, I'm not going to bless them. I believe part of the blessing of God on America is... We've blessed Israel, and we continue to protect them. Well, by the way, Netanyahu's coming. President Obama, like it or not, he's going to come, and he's going to address the Congress. And it's creating a firestorm in Washington, D.C. Somebody said, well, do you think there's animosity against, uh, between Netanyahu and Obama? And the guy said, duh. They won't speak. There's enough animosity there. Why is there so much animosity toward the Jewish people? Six million Jews. I can't get my mind around this. One million Jews put to death in Auschwitz, Poland alone. From 40 to 45, Anne Frank. Remember her? The diary of Anne Frank. She and her sister spent time there. Six. I've been in Belarus. And they have this place there in the center of this town. And, and, and the Nazi... Germans, they, they got the people in Belarus, they got them in this building, and they set it ablaze, the, the Jewish people and, and, the, and the others around the community, they, they set it ablaze. And if you escape, then the Gestapo there was to shoot you. Listen, guys, horrific, horrible things. A million Jews alone in Auschwitz. Saddam Hussein hated the Jews. Saddam Hussein kept a copy in his back pocket of a book, a biography by a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. The name of the book was My, my Angst, My Concern, my, my Anguish, Mein Kampf, okay? He hated the Jews, just like Iran hates the Jews, just like a lot of people do. I, I was listening, and I'm going to close with this. Um, I, I was listening to a, uh, a sermon. Thank you, Kurt, by the way. I listened to that sermon. By the way, I get 
tons of things from you, and I just want you to know I appreciate it. I can't read all of it. I can't can't watch all of it, but I do the best I can, okay? Are y'all with me on that? Can I just have a moment here and just say I love you? There is no way under heaven I can read every book you want me to read and, and, and look at all the videos in this technological age. But I'm telling you, I, I try to do the best I can. I watched that sermon, Kurt, by Joel Rosenberg at Prestonwood Baptist Church. Y'all know that little mission church up in Dallas? Y'all know the church? They run 18 million or whatever, whatever it is. By the way, guess what Jack Graham is preaching? Guess what book he's preaching through? The book of Revelation. For 16 weeks, he's going to preach the book of Revelation. I'm like, that's good. I think I can get through chapter 2 in 16 weeks, but he's just smarter than I am. He can just do it faster than I can. So as they're getting it going, they're asked Joel Rosenberg to come and preach. And you can watch it. January the 18th, a couple weeks ago, Prestonwood Baptist Church, this converted Jew, graduate of Syracuse University, comes to faith in Christ, and he travels all over the world. He lands at Prestonwood Baptist Church, and he makes this statement. I want you all to hear this statement, okay? He said, anti-Semitism. Somebody tell me what that is. I won't give you $20, but tell me what that is. Anti-Judaism. Anti-Semitism is a big fancy word for anti-Jews. Joel Rosenberg said, I mean, I get, I get almost freaked out when I say this, because I get almost chill bumps on me when he said these words from Prestonwood Baptist Church, and you, you can watch it, okay, on the screen. He said, Anti-Semitism in Europe is at the 1930s level. The 1930s level. You remember those guys a couple weeks ago in Paris? Yeah, I know they, they murderous, barbaric people went in and killed those 12 people, those editors and so forth. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the other guy. Do you know where he went? To a Jewish kosher deli place? And it was there that he assassinated four Jewish people. Why would, why would he single them out? I'm telling you, there's a hatred in Europe. He said that it's boiling and it's festering to the point of pre-1930 age. Guys, there's a lot going on in our world. And everything I've shared with you for 30 minutes, listen to this, I may be absolutely wrong and mistaken and unenlightened and uneducated but I might be right. And if I'm right, and if I'm interpreting this correctly, these are interesting days in which we live. Listen, I was running. I was running down the road. You see this old white-haired guy, shiny white legs, running like somebody's chasing him on 620. It's your pastor training for a triathlon. I've lost my mind, all right? I've lost my mind. And I love it. I just, I'm running 10 miles I was running Saturday, and I just, about nine miles, I about just passed out. But anyhow, I, I just, I just, I just felt the Lord's, you know, presence with me, and, and I just felt Him com- compelling me and, and urging me on saying, share this message. Share this with everything you've got. Don't quit. Don't back up. You just keep preaching until I come. Wouldn't it be awesome? Here's the thought I had. Y'all with me? I'm running. I was like, What if it were today? What if the king came? What if he came and took his church? Let's say the rapture's right, and he takes us out of here. Let's say the rapture's wrong. Let's just say he comes, kaboom, all right? And things just break loose. And I was thinking to myself, Lord, so many people who've lived have loved you far more than me 
who've served you far longer than me. But I sure would love to see you come. See you come. And then you take us up to be with you. Guys, it could happen any moment. And if you're not ready, I don't share this message with you to, to, to impress you or share this message with you to scare you. I share this message with you to say this. If you're going to talk to somebody about the Lord, you probably ought to go ahead and talk to them. If you're going to get serious serving God, you probably ought to go ahead and get serious serving God. If He doesn't come in our lifetime, ooh, listen to this, listen to this. Let's live as if He is coming in our lifetime. So let's pray together as we have our invitation this morning. Thank you for listening. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it's a little after 12. I, I'm, I just want to have to pick up the, the two witnesses. You talking about a fascinating, dynamic duo. Wow. These two men are, wow. That's all I can say. You got to read it. Look at it. Study it. And let's come back next week together and we'll share together. But before we go any further, can we just pause for a moment? Let's pray together as our pastors and our counselors and our deacons and our guys come together at the altar. Oh, they're getting ready to come to the altar. And I, I just want us to have a time of just admitting our need to the Lord today. You may be here today, and that one little thing that I said a moment ago, the Holy Spirit just used it, and it was as if you were the only person in the room when He said, you know, I can help you with that. And whatever that is, can I just testify and say, He can indeed help you. He can heal you. He can minister to you. Some of you may need some great Christian counseling, like our brother Kyle Miller provides. Amazing, godly, biblical counseling. Some of you may just need to come to the altar and just confess to the Lord your hurt and your need and let that healing begin. Some of you need to get in a discipleship group, a small group. Some of you just need to share with another brother or sister, but you need healing because the Lord has told you today, you know, I can help you with that. And He can help you. Others of you here today, and you don't know the Lord. You don't have a story. You don't have a testimony. You're not ready. If Jesus were to come right now, you'd be one of those left behind. If you were to die today, you would not go to heaven. You know it. Your lifestyle is commensurate with that knowledge. So why don't you give your heart today to the Lord? Why don't you say, God, I don't understand everything, but this much I do know. You are good. You are God. You are awesome, and I'm not. And I need forgiveness. I need your grace. In fact, why don't, why don't I just pray for you right now? Let, let me pray for you, those of you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, Brother Terry, as soon as I say amen, we'll start singing a song of praise and invitation to the Lord. For the first group, He is able. Release it to Him today. Give Him your hurt. Give Him your dreams. Give Him your past, your present, your future. Say, God, here it is. Help me with this. Others of you here today, you need the Lord. Say this prayer with me, okay? Seriously. Don't wait. No, I'm serious. Do not wait. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed in the quietness of this moment, just say, Dear God, you are awesome. I am not. You are God. I am not God. Forgive me for living like I thought I was God. And Jesus, I believe it all. I believe, I believe who you are, the Son of God, the only hope for my sin. Dear Jesus, just tell me, dear Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. I am yours. The rest of my days, I will live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just know this. You, if you meant it, 
and it was for real, the Holy Spirit of God has come into your heart. And if it was anything like he did me when I was 19, a sophomore at a university there in the, in the state of Alabama when God came to me, if you were doing anything like I was, there was some joy. I mean some palpable joy bubbling up in your heart. And you may not be able to explain it. You may be able to say, wow, I, f- I feel different. I feel peace, forgiveness. That's the Holy Spirit coming in you, okay? Would you share that with somebody? Please, don't leave this sacred campus. You may want to grab a, a Kyle, a Ross, a, a Brother Terry, myself, or one of these other pastors, one of these other ministers, Brother Mike, or one of these deacons, and say, hey, um, hey, t- I don't need to tell you, I, I prayed that, and God is in me. Why don't you do that today? God, we love you. We trust you. We give you this invitation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Ready to sing? Woo! Good stuff.